Welcome to JavaScript Jam, y'all. Okay, give me a second here while I jump in here myself. Ishan's in here too. Awesome. Matt, Jason, what's up, guys? I'm getting feedback. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay, hold on. Invite myself. There's Tessa. Hold on, Tessa, what's up? Let's get you in here. Give me one moment. There we go. Respond, accept. Okay. Test I requested. And there we go. Ishan, I don't know if you're just in here to listen or if you want to jump on, but I'm going to go ahead and send you a co-host request just in case. There we go. Boom. Sent, sent, sent. Okay. All right. Exciting stuff. Tessa, welcome. Thank you. How's it going? Pretty good. Not too bad at all here. Great day. A little chilly where I'm at. Same here. Okay. Where are you at? I'm located near St. Louis. So it got down in the 20s last night. That was pretty cool. (laughs) A little cold. Yeah. And I was about to complain how cold it is here in Seattle, but never mind. Now (laughs) this is considered warm for you. It's the smoke, though, here in Seattle. That's really the problem. Oh, man. Yeah, it, it is pretty foggy from the smoke. Yeah. Cloudy from the smoke. So yeah. I, I actually just made it in time, but flew in this morning. And we flew by. My son was like, look at the Space Needle. And it was just all surrounded by fog and smoke. It was like, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's, it's also not great for white cars. I have a white car that's covered in ash i went to get a car wash and then the ash it got windy again a couple weeks later and now my car is covered in ash so i'm just gonna leave it there just let it stay good decoration it's a a protective coating yeah exactly (laughs) turn it into halloween decoration and put a little spider web over it some plastic spiders on it awesome thank you so much for joining us i'm gonna go ahead and just throw us up here and start us off and then we'll get rolling jen hey what's up tim What's up? Hey, Jen. Hey, everybody. Everybody's having so much fun here. Yeah, it's going to be good. This is going to be great. So welcome to JavaScript Jam Live. We do this every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And it doesn't matter whether you've been in the development for just a little bit of time or you've been doing this for a very long time. We love to have participation from everybody in the audience. We love to have an audience-driven kind of thing here, right? We typically say the first 30 minutes or so, we're chatting it up with someone. And then, like, after that, if we do have someone here, then we'll do the open mic thing for the last half or whatever. We're not trying to give it too much of a process or a system. We just want it to be as fun as possible and let the conversation go flow as naturally as possible and to have as many people participate as possible as well. Because really, honestly, that's typically when we have the most value and fun on here is when people in the audience are wanting to come up and participate, ask questions. If not necessarily ask questions, they could be even just giving opinions, right? So we want to hear from it, from everybody. And we love it when that happens, which it does quite often here. So thank you all for joining us today. Joining us is our co-host Ishan, who has gotten back home <laughs> from being out of town, but super glad that he made it today. I was really excited to see him in the room. And then we have a special guest, Tessa with AppRite, and she's part of the DevRel team there, and we're super excited to have her here and to talk a little bit about Oktoberfest 
and DevRel. And we got several DevRels in the room now as well. So super excited. Yeah, some of my favorite people hanging out. All of you are pretty amazing. And I think I follow most of you. If not, I should be. And I love audience participation. I love it when people join with voice chat because that means that's less talking on my end. And I'm not a big <laughs> talker. I, the most talking I ever do in real life is like when I have to do any kind of presentation. That's about it. Let's let's get started with just Hacktoberfest since we're right in the middle of it. And then for a few minutes, and then we can switch over to DevRel. Especially with the people we've gathered here, I'd love to get the audience participation as you mentioned as well. But just we're halfway through, or a little bit more than halfway through Hacktoberfest. I know AppRite and yourself are heavily involved. You want to give us like a status update? Is there anything you could say about how this compares to previous Hacktoberfest? Or what are you excited about that's been happening in this year's Hacktoberfest? Sure. So first off, if anyone's not familiar with Hacktoberfest, it is a 30-day long event that celebrates open source contributions. It allows many people to get involved and easily find repositories to get involved in. And it's just like a fun way to also earn prizes. Um, You earn prizes from... Hacktoberfest, the event overall, and then you also earn prizes for different projects that you're contributing to. And every project has a different set of prizes. And the biggest thing I'm excited about is they're doing things a little bit differently this year for Hacktoberfest. And if you didn't know that Hacktoberfest is hosted by DigitalOcean, and they've been doing this for quite a few years now. And this year, the only difference is it's more welcoming to new contributors and new developers. And also with low code to no code opportunities for contributions, whereas previous years has been more easy, easier, and like it's more focused on code um, in the past. And so this year for AppRite, and if you're not familiar with AppRite, we are a backend as a service, like a Firebase alternative and fully open source with like core APIs for services, databases, authentication, et cetera. And because we're a fully open source project, we participate in Hacktoberfest and that actually helped mm-hmm. us expand our contributors and community because we got, we were involved in the lot previous years for Hacktoberfest. Our community grew significantly and made such an impact to our project and the health of our projects. And I wish this upon many other open source projects to definitely get involved in Hacktoberfest. It really does make a big difference. It's a lot of work though. The DevRel team and engineering team with our organization has been just busy nonstop trying to keep up, but it's for the good, like doing a lot of good for others and top for Mamanta for it. Yeah, no, that was a really good summary. And we actually had a session about Hacktoberfest at the end of September. But one of the things we briefly touched on is like what it looks like from the other side. Everyone looks at it from the contributor side, but from a maintainer side, you don't always see what that looks like. I'm also really curious what it looks like from like your perspective. You talked about all the work your your team is doing. Give us could you give us a little bit, peel back the curtain a little bit on what it looks like from your side in terms of the level of effort you're doing and stuff like that, whether it's the amount sure. of the team? Give us that kind of picture that we rarely get otherwise. So initially, it started with the DevRel team 
our job was to plan what everything's going to look like. We started off planning events, Oktoberfest events, to get the community hyped up. We started that mid-September, and we were running about three events internally a week, as well as being involved in external-related events. And that was just specific to the DevRel team. And then we started preparing for all these announcements for October 1st. And it's important for everyone to make sure we're on schedule with all of our social media promotions, email campaigns. We do a little bit of the marketing side. Small, small startup. So DevRel does. I mean, we do marketing, we do business development, we do partnerships, we do integrations. Like the everything in one team may not be like that for larger companies. And... As soon as things start in October 1st, the engineers are prepared by running a GitHub, a GitHub action to automatically tag all of the prepared issues for Hacktoberfest and adding all of the issues. We had maybe 400 issues-ish. And oh, wow. the DevRel team, we started going in every single, I think I like worked weekends and evenings just keeping up along with the team. We reviewed every single issue we made sure every single one abided by like rules that we have we have like certain policies like for example each contributor when we assign them an issue cannot be involved with more than two different types of issues and also with contributions related to just a grammar fix i noticed that there would be people trying to get assigned to many grammar fixes or they're just creating issues of a lot of different grammar fixes. So we're only limiting one grammar fix per person. So it's like more fair. Why give mm-hmm. all the prizes and benefits to someone who's been spending three weeks on one issue than one person fixing, adding a space for ah. different issues. So we have to make it somewhat fair, even though all contributions is impactful. I really like grammar fixes because we actually have a lot. We have a lot of grammar. Like most of the organization speaks English as a second language. So it's good to get that a little cleaned up. And it's hard to find that when you're not specifically reading every single thing word per word. So we're still doing assigning. I As soon as we finish, more issues end up getting put up and then Every person we assign, a lot of these issues have conversations happening, questions being asked, and there's just a lot of follow-up that's needed for each one. And around the second week of October is when all of the PRs started coming in. So I think we have 100 pending PRs. And our engineering team currently is very small. So they've been also working day and night and not forcefully. They do it by choice. It's up to them if they want to work extra. But it's one of the really cool things about AppRite is everyone was hired that was either a contributor to open source communities or a contributor to AppRite or someone who's been involved in developer communities. So we all have this passion to help others in a way. So we all have, so it's like a different kind of culture that I've never been in before so we're just like all having fun together just keeping up with Hacktoberfest and we're doing it because we just really are enjoying the community and building the community at the same time but they've been non-stop going reviewing PRs and keeping up with PRs which I feel bad because there'll, there'll be individuals that spend an entire weekend working on a PR and submitting it and they're really excited and they submit the PR 
And then there's no response in eight hours, which is like where DevRel team comes in handy for like orchestrate get by responding and saying, hey, thank you for your PR. Our engineering team will get back to you. And we are also have one or two DevRels that are helping with smaller PRs or easier PRs so the engineers can focus on the ones that take up a lot of time. Some Sometimes it's an entire day to review a PR and test it and make sure everything is working as is. And some are pretty quick. So it's, it is pretty time consuming and we're hoping to get through all of it by the end of the month. But realistically, I'm not sure about that, but we'll see. Wow, that really helps paint a really vivid picture, I think, for the audience on what happens behind the scenes to make Hacktoberfest possible from the other side of the coin. And if you've just submitted a PR for Hacktoberfest and you're all excited and you don't get a response immediately, this is a good reason why. And just be a little bit patient because there's a lot of entries that a lot of maintainers need to go through. But I think all the work you talked about with that DevRel team might be a good seg to the other topic we wanted to talk to you today about, which is developer relations, which I know you've been extremely active in for a long time. I've gone to a con- mini conference I know you you held a few years ago about developer relations. Before we jump into that, though, could you just give a little bit of your background and how you got into DevRel? How I got into it, a lot of it was not intentional. I didn't have this career path to go there. I started as a developer working in an office in downtown Seattle. I actually, I quit my job, but I loved my job so much. Everything was really great. I have, it was an hour drive to get to the office. And I have this issue where I fall asleep while I drive very often, especially in the morning, no matter how much coffee I drink. And there was a few occasions where I almost got an ac- in an accident. Oh, so wow. I ended up quitting my job and got, and I was like teaching on the side and I moved my part-time teaching into full-time. So I was, I'm just was starting, I was teaching programming full-time and I ended up, we had some like budget issues after a few years and I started like before I started applying for jobs, I was at a developer conference at a bar and the bar was like next to the session rooms inside of a hotel. And I was hanging out with a few developers and one was a developer advocate. And he mentioned, and his name is Mike Stowe, if anyone's familiar with the name in the industry, he does a lot of public talks. And he said, you have teaching experience and developer experience. Why aren't you a developer advocate? Like, you, that's what you should be doing. And it made me think, oh, I've never really thought about ever applying for a developer advocate role. And I applied for some roles, and I felt like I was laughed at in job interviews. Like, it was a joke for me to even consider. So I reached out to some developer advocates at Google, quite a few of them, and said, hey, do you have, would you like to, I'd like to get into a role like yours? Do you have 30 minutes? Can I have 30 minutes of your time to have some guidance and like a temporary mentor? And that's one thing that most people don't do. They like it's scary to reach out to people that you want to be like, why would that person want to speak to me? Why would they want to give their time? And of course, there's a lot of people that are busy. I get nonstop messages of asking people asking for mentorships. Some I'll respond to some, but it's just hard. I'm like, always busy. I keep my time filled 24-7. And if I do have some free time, 
I play some video games or watch a movie and kind of decompress. Um, but there are people out there that are willing to give some time to, to help. And you have to catch them at a good time. And it's all like scenario based. So this person, I got like a good 30 minutes with them. And they're like, okay, you need to do this. You need to build a portfolio. You need to list out like talks that you've done. You need to have like, everything just like prepped and ready. You need to build your personal brand just a little bit more. This is what you're lacking. You need to put out some content. I'm not finding any content that you've written. So I just started doing every single checklist item in like within a couple months of time. And that actually helped. All of a sudden, like people were taking me more serious in interviews because I had things to demonstrate. And it's hard to talk about everything you've done and your accomplishments in like a 15 minute interview, you can't really demonstrate who you are as a person and as an employee and, and being a perfect culture fit all within that time frame. So it helps you get a further step in the door, having all of that. And, That's awesome. and part of my job now, like I review a lot of resumes and that's something I've noticed, like it would be so much easier, like going through hundreds of resumes. It's easier if you just have something that like someone has like a personal website or some kind of link where everything is like all in one spot, just makes it easier rather than me having to go on Google and searching and which I like to do for more serious candidates I'm looking at. So that's really cool. Just the whole hearing so many, really, you're validating a lot of things that personally I knew probably you know, just it's so cool to hear that coming from you. And the one thing I do want to hear, though, is maybe your opinion on something that I obviously I think you can relate to just based on what your story was there. And that's and I think Rizelle Scarlet with Pub was mentioning this in Twitter the other day, which was hiring junior DevRels, quote unquote, <laughs> and because she started GitHub as a junior, I guess you would say. And now she's considered, I guess, DevRel. But I honestly, uh, <laughs> I knew her when she first started GitHub pretty much. And like, she, I felt like she was always a DevRel. I didn't consider her junior at all. She, yeah. it was because she was really good at speaking and talking and promoting and all these other things that come with that. And so my thing is, my question is, what do you think about, what do you think about this? So I feel like a, a junior who doesn't have a whole lot of track record yet who is just really getting started and pumping things out. I think those are the most qualified for developer advocate DevRel position because they're building their journey and they're building out in public. And so I feel like there's actually more value to hiring someone who is going through that process because you get the opportunity to be a company that is quote unquote backing such a person that you're going to grow with as a company, which is phenomenal because you get the value of that. And whereas basically instead of hiring someone in that already has a following and sure those people are just going to follow them in, but not necessarily. Whereas they're growing with this junior dev DevRel through, through the process versus just hiring someone who has a following. I think there's yes, pros and cons to both situations, but I would say that there's almost, I would, dare to almost say that there's almost more value with the journey because people feel like they're a part of the story versus jumping in in the middle of it. I 100% agree with this. I've worked with all mid-level to seniors before. I've been on a team with all seniors only. And then now I've 
I'm on a team with juniors and seniors. And what I've learned from this is, and one thing I want to mention is we never call our juniors junior developer advocates ever. I just feel like it doesn't feel right, especially with how hard they work and they deserve to be just called a developer advocate. And I look at them and treat them as a developer advocate. I've never referred to them as someone lower than me. I've never referred to them as someone like of lower value or of lower skill because everyone is equally like high value on in my perspective. And w one great thing about people who are like more junior or just getting started in their first developer advocate role is they're just like fueled with energy and fueled with passion and fueled with just everything. And it is so much fun. I have fun every day working with my team and they just have that just crazy energy that you really never, I'm just not used to this. And they're always just always available and just really excited to, to be there. And I always imagine juniors to be like a different level. So one thing that's important to know is if, if you're hiring juniors, you need to have a good mixture of more senior level people or experienced people in general because you want to have that good team flow going on you need to be able to if things get stuck which will i think a button was pressed to unmute yeah <laughs> yeah that was somebody made a request and then took it away and i went to tap on to bring them up to the stage and then yeah. it disappears and the mute button pops I think up. Last, and last time from now you're like, okay tessa you're done gonna... uh, you're cut off yeah exactly yeah <laughs> Video games and Twitter spaces controls, I just shouldn't do. Sorry, Tessa, keep going. Yeah, basically, it's good to have like a, different levels in the team. You need to have a mentor, someone who has more experience, who can answer questions. Just because a junior level person has a lot of energy and is putting out a lot of work, it doesn't mean everything is how it should be. You need to have someone of with experience to be able to review things and look at things and offer opinions and offer ways to improve. A junior developer advocate is never going to get to a mid-level or senior level range without having that kind of mentorship. Someone to say, hey, you can let me help you with this. One thing I do with one of our juniors is I've been teaching her about CFPs. I helped her write her first CFP, which she got accepted. And then I helped her write her second CFP, which got accepted. And now she's like learning how the process of building a CFP is. I broke it down into what a call for presentation looks like to submit sessions to conferences. And now she's like writing them on her own. I only helped with a few, like, and now I'm not even asked anymore for any help. And she's like a professional when it comes to putting together session titles and descriptions. Awesome. <laughs> Yeah, for example, my first developer advocate role was at Cisco Systems, which I thought is like impossible to get your first role at a big company, which helped me with all future success because people want to hire someone with, from bigger companies, which I don't agree necessarily that is the best thing. So our team was pretty big. We had probably 15 developer advocates on the team. So there was a, several senior level individuals. So I had the opportunity to have mentors and have people to help me. And I had a couple of people who were always helping me with building CFPs. Even before that, I was doing a lot of presentations. But this, my CFP titles weren't like very strong in the past, but still worked. So I was able to really improve, like mastering how to write them. 
Yes. So you're talking about getting the hook here. <laughs> yeah. That's and, nice. And among that, there's just so many different areas of developer relations. One thing that I've been really a team on is what to do with developer feedback, how to bring it back to the engineering team, building processes behind that and putting what developer first means, what developer experience means. And that's like a whole different, whole nother level of topic going on. I love that. No, absolutely. I just want to really quickly, thank you so much for that, Tessa. Like you're just dropping bombs here today. So good. <laughs> Everybody give her some like claps, some love, some high fives. Yeah. I know we brought Ali up here. I'm going to give her a chance to be here in just a second. But, yes, join now. Yeah, join. <laughs> absolutely. We will have her in here in just a second. But we are at the halfway mark. And I just want to say thank you all so much for joining us today. This is JavaScript GM. If you're the first time joining us here, thank you so much for joining us. If you've been here many times before, we'd love to just have fun and push value out there. And thank you to Tessa for doing that with us. Us today that is so cool every wednesday 12 p.m pacific standard time we will be here don't forget also guys if you haven't gotten onto our newsletter yet you should definitely get a part of that don't want to miss out on the awesome value that's going out there it's not just us that's putting this stuff out we're also putting links out to all the different people that we're just participating and we're involved with in here it's so cool to just push other people out there and have fun with it so just click on the little logo there javascript gm and you can go and subscribe just by clicking the button super easy super cool super fun Anyway, thank you so much for joining us. And we're going to continue this conversation right now and let Ali ask a question here or, or even just a comment, whatever she's wanting to say. So thank you. Yeah. Hey, hey. thanks for having me on. I to see everyone actually know Tessa pretty well. That's what drew me to space, but I'm loving the content so far. I'm actually a DevRel myself. So just had a few comments on the junior DevRel thing and it, it was spot on what Tessa mentioned new people to this field are generally super hungry and want more guidance or strategy or how do I build out my profile? How do I help developers? How do I do a better job of this? But they're really hungry to learn and really it's just about a little bit of guidance here and there and aligning with business goals and they can become some of your best devrels ever. Totally agree with that, Tessa, was the main comment I had there. Thank you. <laughs> and good to see uh, you. I mean, needs, hear you. Every team needs to here, at least one. And then build yeah, definitely, that. definitely, I agree. And it helps you learn too. I think that's one of the big things that some people miss. If you're mentoring newer DevRels, that helps you bring a better A game as well. Like I've always found mentoring others really helps you improve yourself. So I think it's a symbiotic relationship there too. That's it. That's all. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ali. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming up. Appreciate it. Love the comments. Lots of people, I'm sure, would agree with you and also Tessa and all that. So much fun. Jen, thanks for coming up. How are you doing? I haven't heard from you in a little bit. How are you, how's things going? Hello, hello. I know. Wednesdays are busy. This is one of, I think I have three Twitter spaces in my calendar. And like, this is one of them that I'm like, I need to come when I can to this one specifically. Hey. <laughs> oh, flattered. Thank you. Yes. All right. This uh, is... All that's a Tessa, right? Yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, because yeah. <laughs> I actually have a question about interviewing for DevRel experiences. Uh, a lot of the way newbie DevRels are getting into it, the business is building in public. And a lot of companies are having you do uh, build an app or some type of documentation. Could I get everybody's thoughts on, do you think that should be still built in public or built in private since it's for a specific role that may not be announced? 
Yeah, great question. First, I'll put, turn it off to Ishan or Tessa or Ali or any of those that want to maybe speak on this first and then, yeah. Yeah, I've got some initial thoughts on that. I think because you're interviewing for a specific company, it's probably best to do it in private but have all your thoughts written down to talk about the process after you've gone through that process, if that makes sense. I think it really depends on the company too, though. I don't think anyone, any company anywhere is going to say no to positive content or to content that does the job either. So I guess it's up to your own preferences. My preference is to do that privately and release it afterwards, how I built it, what I built, etc. But honestly, I think it's a personal preference. I don't think any business would be upset by it. I don't know if anyone has any other opinions on that. I My preference, I'd echo the do it in private first. The one concern from the point of view of the organization is they might be giving that same test to multiple people who are in a pipeline, or it might be a question that they reuse for the last couple months to even a couple of years. I've known people who have a very common go-to quiz that they give everyone. And so they might prefer that maybe not be attached to their name or something like that. So that's why I would default to doing it in private first and then talk to them later as Ali suggests. And if Tess has any other thoughts. Is this specific to like, asking the candidate to the company asking the candidate to build something for part of the interview test yes like instead of doing an interview test it's like in take home assignment i've given this to every candidate and which has been fun because i've been like making it up based on what i feel a test should look like and be for a developer advocate candidate but the way i judge it i have like my whole set of criteria and i give them an option to submit it to me in public on a, like a public link or submit it to me in private if they don't want the public to see. So that's like an option that I give them. If I don't give them the option, I feel like that should be something they, sh- they should be asking. They should ask the question if it should be stay private or can I post it publicly? And it shows a lot about the person when they're asking these questions rather than making assumptions and jumping into what they think should be. I dig it. Thank you, everyone. I appreciate it. That's a, that leads to a really good question, which is, Tessa, what do you look for when you're on the flip side interviewing people? What do you look for in, in candidates? What jumps out at you? What has been the most amazing thing you've seen? What are the and, common mistakes? You- and to add to that, what does, and maybe you don't want to go into all this, but <laughs> I'm pushing for it. What does your interview process look like? Like how long, how many, things like that. So... I don't have a very, I kind of change it slightly depending on the person. If they're like a really senior level person with a lot of years of experience, I'm not going to have them go through the recruiter and go through all these technical tests. Like we already know their technical ability. We shouldn't be wasting their time when we know they're really busy. With junior to mid-level, we have to have like more of a process because we want to be sure on that hire, on that candidate. We start with a recruiter process and then the DevRel team meets them and just gets a good like culture team fit and asks some questions related to developer advocacy. We have them meet with the engineering team because we do a lot of engineering work, even though on the outside, it looks like we all do just community related stuff, but internally we're doing a lot of engineering related work, which is hard to demonstrate on social media. So they meet with the engineering team and they get a good feel of what level of 
technical capability they are and like judge based on are they like really beginner or someone on the resume said they have a lot of experience with using Git and GitHub. And then in their interview, they couldn't answer a single question about what it is when the role had a lot to do with working within the community on GitHub discussions. So just stuff like that with the basic technical questions. With For a developer advocate role, I make up like the test question based on the person. And I try to make it very easy. What would I want? What would be fun for me if I was to apply? I don't want some like algorithmic coding questions being asked. Like, how is that going to help my team at all? That's not going to help my team. One, one important factor is like, how fast can they learn? If they're given, when I give them a test, usually it's like learning something, learning something within our product and, and doing a little, and they have options. I give them lots of options because everyone has different strengths. Like you can make video content if video content is your strength. You can do written content if, if written content is your strength. Like you can even ask to have it done differently if what, if the choices I'm giving you isn't what you like. I like people like I, I'm learning their communication style on our back and forth while I'm giving them this test. Are they asking questions? Like if they're not clear with information, if I didn't give them a deadline, are they asking for what the deadline is? If I didn't ask them like how long the video needs to be, are they asking those questions or are they just guessing and or stressing out because they don't know what they need to do and then just put it off? And are they submitting things before the deadline if they're not are they reaching out and asking for more time like communication is probably like my number one factor and every team lead is probably different and prioritizes different areas but communication is probably my, my number one thing I'm looking for number two is follow through are they following through are they able to complete it if not are they providing something in an alternative based on what their strengths are so I just, I factor in a lot based on the person, based on how they're communicating with me, based on what the project is. And I always change that up, especially based on their level too. If they're junior versus mid-level, mid-level, I would give something more, slightly more difficult. And I make sure every assignment doesn't take more than two or three hours of your personal time. That's a really good consideration. It sounds like what you're doing is you're basically doing a test drive assignment of what it'd be like to work with them. Yep. To create content around some technical form of content. Are there any things that you give as instructions or that people give as instructions earlier in the process? Like for a lot of people, it's cracking through the, like even getting to the phone screen, it's cracking through the wall of resumes that go into the applicant tracking system. Are there things you tell the recruiting or sourcing team or you're used to as metrics? Are they like number of followers or they need to have a personal blog or some of those things you mentioned that checklist? Are there one, like one, any checklist thing, items? Yeah, go ahead. One thing I've learned is the number of followers have zero correlation to how great they would be to work with and mm. how well they will execute on tasks. What I have, so our operations team helps with resumes. So I'll have them go through and review and go through their social media and see how they communicate and talk to other people and yeah, and sense of what kind of person they are based on that. And it saves me a lot of time because that is actually very time consuming to, to go through that. I was going to say that's deep. That's awesome. <laughs> I love that. And I learned this process from 
like 2011, I was as a developer and my manager was like, hey, I'm, I have a few people in the interview process and I could use some help. And I'm like, oh, I've never done anything like this before. What do you need help with? And he's go through her Facebook 2011, like Facebook and MySpace, I think, was the only thing around. Yeah. <laughs> that was very like common. Go through and just read how she communicates with other people and just make sure it's not 100% pictures of her with alcohol and make sure that it's just an, an, a good overall person that you'd want to work with and not trying to start drama and, and cause problems with everyone. So... That was fun to do. I'm like, oh, cool. I never even knew anything like this was a thing. And since 2011, I've been very careful on social media. I'm like, I'm not going to fight with anyone. I'm not going to argue with anyone unless I'm looking at both sides of the situation and being respectful in a way. And everything I write on the internet, even if it's private, I always try to imagine that it's something that I'm writing in public that everyone is reading, including my boss and my family. So... Just the way, a good way of thinking. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. So you're really not just looking about like how they communicate, whether they're helpful. You want to understand is what their personality is based on their social media profile. That's very interesting. Yeah, culture fit. Then that's yep. like half of it. The other half is like the technical fit. Are they going to add value to your team? Yep. Are they going to be able to fit in and understand like what like how much hand holding is going to be needed are they going to know what needs to be done do they understand how to work with developer communities how to onboard new developers just just all that basic developer devrel related stuff i think we have jason wanting to speak so jason i'll hand it off to you Oh, yeah, thanks. I think this question builds off of Jen's question from a minute ago. The last time I was heavily involved with hiring developer relations type people, it was seven, eight years ago. Back then, we would mostly just hire straight out of our community. So you know, we had an open source and a commercial product that would had a lot of people using it. And so we would just pick the people that were already actively using the product and being very vocal about it. Maybe they're an independent consultant or something like that that was using our stuff. And usually they'd find our way to a con uh, one of our, they'd find our way into our, we'd reach out to them or something like that. It, I'm guessing that things have changed quite a bit from the sounds of the discussion. How important is like having existing prior demonstrated passion for the company in modern DevRel hiring? Is it, or is it more of a mature environment where, it's just, it's a profession, you know, DevRel in itself is a profession that can be transported from one company to the next. So I wanted to mention that is probably the number one important factor within our team. All of our engineers were contributors to the product, but we're a company only started last year, end of last year. So it's a brand, we're still new. So it would be hard for us to hire developer advocates that's been using the product for a long time. <laughs> It was right. all open source project two years ago and three years ago, it was just one person building something fun. So it just grew exponentially in the last couple of years as a project. But in the future, most likely, I would love if a developer advocate like applied for a position and they've been using AppRight for a while, that's going to make a big impact. Or if someone says they're familiar with like, X competitor product and Y competitor product and been using it for a while, it shows that onboarding them into understanding our product and the architectural side would be like no effort on and using no resources on our end. 
like they would immediately understand. But the last thing you mentioned was how important is it to for someone to translate one skill from one company and have to move to another one that's similar or something completely different. I've moved between product teams that have no correlation between each other and I've had no experience with. And I felt like it didn't affect the team in any way, in a negative way. It's the matter of like, how willing is that person wanting to learn and be excited about the product? How much time are they going to put? How much effort? Like I spent so, like when I got a job at Cisco, I spent so much time learning about our the different APIs. I was on a team that was responsible for advocacy of two different APIs. And I just had so much fun, like building little demo apps and learning as much as I can and putting together little presentations of like teaching people how I learned and teaching them how to get started. And it's just, it all depends on the person, like someone who's just looking for a job just to look for a job versus someone who's just really wants to learn and is just eager to just do DevRel related stuff, there's going to be a difference on activity level and how fast they learn and pick things up. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Jason. Again, we are in the audience-driven portion, so feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up to the stage to ask a question. Let's suppose you've got that DevRel role. This is, I feel like when I've talked to other DevRels, this is like one of the other common questions. What are the right metrics to measure success in dev? If you just got that role, what are the right things that you should be tracked on in that position? Is it based on content? Is it based on leads? It seems like a lot of different organizations have a different way of looking at it. What do you think is the right way to have a North Star metric for a developer relations team? So I like to work backwards and start with what are the like company objectives? What is the goal for the overall company? And then work down to what are the department goals? And then work down to, okay, what should our team goals be that aligns with that? And not everything that DevRel works on may align with direct company objectives, but it's good to have at least some main focus points. And without that, it's hard to demonstrate long, like short-term value. And you need to be able to demonstrate short-term value because everything could be going perfect. And then one day executives make a decision saying, I'm not really seeing where DevRel correlates with our KPIs and we need to make a budget cut. The DevRel team is going to be for the first to go if you don't focus on those KPIs. And every team is going to be different. Every company is going to be different on what's what you should be tracking internally for your team and what you should be tracking that's important for people that are uh, above you. And, and different things are, and it's different between companies. If your company, mm -hmm. if your executives were developers who's been involved in developer communities who understands DevRel, that's going to, they're going to have a different perspective than a company with executives who's never done anything developer related, but it's a developer product. So do you have any will be very different based on that. Do you have like examples or even counter examples that come to mind where you felt like it was misaligned or so, like even a hypothetical one to connect the dots for the audience and what that might look like? Misaligned as in like a goal I, that we had? Yeah, like an example of where the DevRel team didn't have the metrics aligned with the KPIs or an example of where it would be super aligned just to walk the idea forward for the audience of 
hey, as you said, work backwards from what the KPI is, and then that's what the DevRel metric should be. Like if the goal is, say, signups, then maybe you need to be out there doing a lot more content that's educational to get people to use the tool as part of some other form of educational content or something like that. I don't know if you've got examples of where you feel sure. you're lining up with thing KPIs. thing that's hard to... Yeah. One thing that's like really tough is going to a conference to speak when it's not directly tied to getting people to sign up for your product. It might be a thought. We do a lot of thought leadership type of topics and thought leadership leads to rep, brand reputation and brand reputation leads to long term value. And that's difficult to measure on paper. Yeah right there then and there after an event okay you did a presentation about five five great features of ink of the newest angular release or something like that it's like executives are that don't understand developer communities are going to be they're going to question like how much money was spent you spent four thousand dollars on that trip okay how does that like what kind of revenue are we getting out of that like when they start tying things into spending versus revenue that's when you should start questioning things. There's always a way to work around it. You can always make it work. It's just you're putting, you have to put a lot more effort into making it work out. I also want to mention, I have a whole presentation. I wrote a whole blog post on DevRel KPIs and I have a whole video on DevRel KPIs. Where are those at? We're going to link them. Sure. Let me look at the internet. Dev.2 slash Tessamero. I think it's on my Dev.2 account. Yeah. Dev.2 slash at Tessamero. And I have it pinned. So on my pinned content, there's a link at the top to the video. And I did like a whole workshop on how to build out your team KPIs. Yeah, I was at that workshop. I remember it. It was really good. And I remember it was very well run. So that was great. It looks like Jen has a question. Let's turn it over to Jen. For everybody that may not know me, it's whenever I'm here, I just have lots and lots of questions. I love that. (laughs) And also, now that we know Tessa's Dev2, I feel like that means for all of us, we need to go follow Tessa on Dev2. So get the knowledge. That means I need to write more content. I started writing content. It's hard for me to really, I have to be extremely like passionate and all the information fresh in my mind to get myself to write. It takes me more effort to write than most people, I feel. But I did recently write an article um, on July. Yeah, in July. That's not recent. That was a while ago. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'm overdue. I, I have a question for everyone. And Tessa, you talked about the fact that like you've had to switch companies, which has switched technology. And for everyone here, like, what's your best way to level up in technology, especially if you're going from, I don't know, you're doing front end JavaScript to now you suddenly have to do everything APIs like that are completely different how do you level up quickly from my experience i leveled up quickly from going through tutorials trying to build things or replicate something already built so i have some kind of guide and breaking things and understanding how i broke it understanding why things aren't working on my end but it works on their end and then working down from there or just playing around if you just read a book or just read things i feel like 
it's really hard to absorb. Like you have to be hands-on when it comes to programming. You have to make something work at the end and see it in action. And once you see it working, you have this like whole new level of confidence. Wow, I am capable. I can do things and I want to do more now. And it's just like an automatic way of our, how our brains work. It's great. But when you get too frustrated and get stuck on things too long, that's a whole nother story. And I've been there too many times. Take long breaks. Give yourself time to think about it and then go back to it or try something different that's similar. I was going to say basically the same thing. I'll add one little nuance, which is before I jump in, I try to understand the why of the technology, which is why is this better or than whatever came before, what problem was this designed to solve or what was its origin story? Because sometimes that context becomes helpful in understanding how something is put together when I start playing with it more. I completely agree. And if you mold your mind into thinking in that way of the why, that's going to help a lot with your developer advocate roles, being able to think of use cases. What content are you putting out? What is the content going to solve? What are the use cases for the person reading it? What problem is it going to solve for them? And it goes a long ways, in, especially internally when, when doing DevRel activities. How has COVID and the whole virtual, we had these two years of virtual community events, and then now it seems like in-person conferences are back. Given what's happened over the last basically three years, has that changed developer relations or advocacy fundamentally, or you think it's just the same thing? We're just doing it differently. It's okay. So I might have a different opinion on this. So I've been nonstop traveling until COVID, just nonstop going to the next event, going to the next event, and as well as a lot of the DevRel people I knew. And I've never really had a break to give mm -hmm. myself time to think if that's something I was really enjoying or if I'm just on automatic mode. And that entire time I've been, for so many years, I've been on automatic mode and have never, and then now that I've been home, I realize how much I don't like to travel. I like to be at home. I like to have my free time. I like to do hobbies. I've never had hobbies before because I never made time for them. I have hobbies again. Like I've never watched movies in the past. I'm watching movies now. I've never been able to do that because when I'm traveling, I'm working until 2 a.m. I'm going out to the conference and then I'm going to the evening reception and then the evening party and then the after party and the after party and the after party. You know how it <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> There's no time to for anything else. And which is fun. I absolutely love it in like a different perspective. But I forgot that I had a personal life. Like I've have almost little to no personal friends because I've been just focused on traveling and working for so long. And now I'm enjoying the whole hybrid change in the industry. Like events have in-person and virtual. I'm not a fan of peer virtual events. I tried it. We've all tried it. And you get burnt out on it. You get burnt out on virtual events as much as in-person events, but for a completely different reason. In-person events, it's, it takes up a lot of time and travel and time zone changes. And then virtual events, you get burnt out because you have no personal engagement. You have no emotional context. There's, it's hard to build relationships without having all of that. 
That makes sense. I know we're right at time and if you have a hard stop, we'll let you go. Might have one or two other questions to follow up on that if you've got a few more minutes, but I want to give you that chance to sign off if you need to. Sure, I'm here. Okay. So then what do you think the future of developer relations looks like, given what we just talked about in terms of there's now a lot more hybrid events? It also feels to me like the DevRel style of, say, the old guard companies like the Cisco's, the IBM's versus kind of the newer kind of front end community, the way they tackle DevRel is a lot different. What do you see as like the future of developer relations going to look like in the future? Or do you think it's still to be? Yeah, go ahead. My opinion also may be different from, yeah. from everyone else and what you can find online of what future of DevRel looks like. Yeah. When I imagine it five to 10 years from now, Number one, every tech company is going to have a DevRel team. Number two, executives will never question like de- DevRel value because it's going to be an obvious thing. We all know that it's needed and there's no question about it. Number three, there's not going to be question of where does DevRel fit? Is it supposed to be in the engineering team? Is it supposed to be in the product team? Is it supposed to be in the marketing team? Should it be its own team? That's still like a big question today and, and a debate, a nonstop debate. That's going to be something that's easily answered in the future. Well, different... Where do you think it should be? Sorry, what's your answer? I think there's different types of DevRel teams. And I think DevRel teams will have more specified categories of what it is. So that way it's obvious where it would fit. Right now, for my team, it fits yeah. better, best on its own team based on how our company is structured based on what our objectives are, based on what our team is working on, based on how the engineering team is structured, it's best on its own team. It's different for each company based on what the product is, based on how they're structured and, and so on. And what kind of, and who are your customers? Is it all developers or is it, or do you have a, a G, GUI? Do you have a backend product for non-developers plus a developer product? It's like the variations are too many for there to be one specific answer that cannot be answered. Does it fit in the marketing team? No. And yes, if it's in the marketing team, if the marketing team, if the company is a developer product and the the CMO of the marketing team understands developers and understands developer relations and you're able to fit goals together in a way where you can have metrics that align with each other. There's just so many dependencies that I think things are going to be categorized in a way where it's just more clear rather than just a debate on, is it this or is it that? Got it. Okay, I cut you off at number three. (laughs) I apologize. You were telling us about the future and I cut you. I I put it on a tangent. So uh, feel (laughs) free to get back to your number three on, on, or I guess going on number four for what the future developer relations is. Yeah. Okay. That's really, uh, that's really interesting perspective and really helpful. I guess maybe the last thing to wrap it up is you had, going back to your, story of how you got started. You talked about, you reached out to a mentor and he gave you a checklist. I was wondering if you still have that checklist or if you remember what that was for people who are getting started, if you could rile that off. I know you mentioned a few things, have a portfolio, Do you, or maybe from memory. Yeah, go ahead. It, it might be different now than it was. This was back in 2014, 15, when I was asking sure. the mentor. What would to, yeah, what would today's, your list of what you somebody reached out to you and said, give me the checklist for what I need to do. What would you give us the Ramp up your resume, add an entire contribution section. Like how have you been involved in developer communities? Maybe they haven't been doing any public speaking. Maybe they Mm -hmm. just attend conferences. Mention your, that kind of involvement, any kind of involvement. I want to 
know like what different communities they're involved in. I, if you only write technical content and maybe don't have a big following, that's fine. I want to know where I can go to find this information and read about their writing style and learn more about them based on their writing or video or whatever they're creating. And not to list everything out on a resume and make it really long. I, it's easier for me to click on a link on a resume and then finding all the information there rather than the resume getting really messy. And I'm saying that because that's how my resume is. It's I try to put everything all on there and it's and very messy. So keep it clean and easy to read because when we're looking at resumes, we're looking at a lot of them. And I skim through and just look for something useful that stands out, such as that. Okay. But I'm, this can be a whole different topic and session on it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we should probably wrap it up. I just want to note for the audience, there. Are, since you brought up your Dev.2, there's two articles I remember reading in the past, besides the one on KPIs, which I think people should look at. There's another one, which is just hired a head of developer relations or you got hired for that job. Here's what to do in your first 90 days. And then there's one on you're doing virtual events wrong, which dovetails to what we were talking about earlier. So definitely follow Tessa and check those out. And thank you for being here. Scott, I'll hand it off to you to take us out. Awesome. Oh, thank you so much, Tessa, for being here today. Oh my gosh, there was so much fire, so many bombs that you dropped. It was so, seriously, the value today from today's show is just amazing. So thank you for doing that and for joining us. Thank you to everybody else who came up on stage and asked questions and participated and made comments. By the way, if you haven't followed Tessa or anybody else that came up here on the stage that you found value from today, be sure to do that. I'm sure you probably already followed them, but you know what? Do it anyway. If you haven't, click on their face there, follow them. Because guess what? If you found value from them here, you're probably going to find value from them in other places. So be sure to do that. And hey, you know what? JavaScript Jam, we wouldn't mind follow either if you felt like you got value from us and would love to join us in a future date, which by the way, every Wednesday, 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time is when we go live. Thank you all for joining us today. We love you all so much. Let's give a big round of applause, high fives, hearts, and everything for Tessa and everybody else that came up on the stage today. Woo! Thank y'all. Love Thank it. You Appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Thank y'all so much. And we'll see you in the next one. Oh, yeah. All right, y'all. Maybe I, did, I think I faded too fast on that one. <laughs> see you next time. Peace.